minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. That's right. It's also streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Now, this is the last live program for the year. We have two pre-recorded programs, one next week and one the week after. That's one the week after Christmas and one in the first week of the 2017. And the pre-record for uh, next week will be about the Victorian Land Convention, which was held 160 years ago in July 2000. <laughs> I've got to get this right. Or 160 years ago. And you're wondering why? Well, listen in next week and you'll find out why. It's all about direct democracy, which seems to be the topic on everybody's lips today, doesn't it? Well, we'll work it out. Now, if you wonder what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power, that's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Why those concepts? Well, the word anarchos means without rulers, not without rules. How does a society function without rulers? It functions by devolving power, and direct democracy is one mechanism of devolving power. The people involved in the decision make that decision and then elect or appoint recallable delegates to coordinate that decision at a local, regional and national level. It's a society where wealth is held in common. Inequalities in power and wealth are the cudgels which are used by the ruling classes to maintain their power, their hegemony. I wanted to use that word once in 2016. I've used it now. Hegemony. You like that, don't you? Well, I don't. Okay, so what's the topic for the day? Look, I'm not going to do the usual crap where people review the year that was. The year that was is gone. It's over. It's happened. That's the reality we have to face. But I am interested in currents within society because there are movements and currents. And it's important that we know in which direction these currents are flowing because at no time, no time in the last few decades have I seen one 
a period that is ripe for change, even radical change, and a period where that push for change has been buried, buried in a tsunami of cynicism and disillusionment. If you talk about the left, it is non-existent in Australia. It is non-existent. Obviously, there are issue-orientated groups which are doing a lot of work regarding various issues. But in terms of a social movement, as we are seeing emerge in southern Europe to a significant degree, a social movement which challenges institutional structures and puts up decentralised structures and the devolution of power as the solution to the issues that we face as individuals and as communities, it is non-existent in this country. And I've never seen an era when there is so much potential for change and so many tired, dispirited, cynical, disillusioned people who would have been out in the streets in the past. And to a significant degree, in my opinion, this is due to the fact that we have a thing called social media, where people somehow think that understanding an issue or looking at an issue or clicking a button somehow is going to generate change. So what we are seeing is the evolution of technological functions and technological interactions where all we do is reinforce our own prejudices and divide ourselves away from the community. Now, here in the anarchist world this week, over the last year, we have been involved in a mass of actions. Some successful, some not successful. But it's been action after action after action. And we've done this specifically in order to encourage people to become involved at a real level. Not a virtual level, but a real level. Whether it's the Tanaminawaya Mōbōhine commemorations, which will be held on the 20th of January. We had the opening of the monument in September this year. Whether it's Defend and Extend Public Housing Campaign, which was initiated a few months ago when we were approached via public interest before corporate interests to you know, uh, assist people in this in this, this campaign, which was having difficulty in gaining traction. Whether it's public interest before corporate interest, the attempt to form a political party and social movement based on the concept of devolving power and, and uh, sharing wealth, putting the interests of the public as a whole before the interests of unaccountable corporations. Whether it was the just the Francesco Fantine Memorial, 
the Wednesday Action Group having an action every Wednesday, every week, somewhere in the Melbourne CBD. Whether it was, um, you know, a huge number of other activities, the, the May Day uh, activity, the activity outside uh, Murdoch's headquarters in Melbourne at 40 City Road, and the list goes on and on and on. So it's about an attempt to create a movement that goes beyond specific issues. And that's the problem. The traditional left and the so-called new left, which is now the old left, have been working tirelessly on issue-orientated campaigns. Now, issue-orientated campaigns do give you a bit of victories here and there, but they don't actually set the basis for transformation. And what we saw with President-elect de Groper in the US of A, what we saw is the emergence of a political movement which used division and hate to see President-elect de Groper become the President of the United States of America. A very successful campaign. We have seen the same type of ruckus, the same type of movement in our own country through the divided nation political party. I won't call them one nation. They are a divided nation political party and are all their offshoots and splinter groups, some involved in the parliamentary process, others not involved in the parliamentary process, feeding feeding on the disillusionment with the current political processes and the current political class, which are nothing more, nothing more than puppets for the one percenters, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. So what we are seeing in Australia today are the preconditions for radical change. Whether that radical change comes from a divide and rule mentality where Australians are pitted against Australians because of their gender or their sexual orientation, their race, their religion, colour of their skin, or whether it's an inclusive radical movement which aims to include people because of the oppression they suffer as a consequence of Parliament being a hostage to the one percenters, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And the irony is that President D. Groper, oligarch extraordinaire in the US of A, that here we have an oligarch, an oligarch who was elected by telling those that are dispossessed and marginalised that somehow allowing oligarchs not to pay taxes is going to solve their problems. And that's the irony, the total irony of the situation. So back to the, the land of Oz. So we have, we have this juncture. It's a critical juncture. Because I believe, well, I don't believe anything, I think. Let's not use the word belief. Belief systems are based on, you know, people in the, you know, uh, invisible friends in the sky. But I think, 
I think that 2017 and 2018 will be critical years in terms of the development of social and political movements which have the capacity to, to divide us or unite us. And currently, all I see is those forces in society that want to divide us winning the struggle, winning the, both the parliamentary and the extra-parliamentary struggle. So why do we find ourselves in this current situation? At no time since the dismissal of the Whitlam Labor government in 1975 have people been more disillusioned with the political process. And they're disillusioned with the political process because either overtly or covertly, they think that they have been bypassed, pushed aside, marginalised. The political process is all about increasing the power and wealth of that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. That's what the political process is all about in 2016 in the land of Oz and most other countries, nation-states around the world. So you've got this general disillusionment of the political process because parliamentary democracy is basically rudimentary democracy. It is 101 rudimentary democracy. Parliamentary democracy or representative democracy is about giving a representative power to make decisions for you for a fixed period of time, whether it's three years or four years or six years. And during that period, irrespective of what you were promised, irrespective of buyer's remorse, you know, you realise that what you were told is the people in the land of uh, the USA will find out in the very near future, irrespective of, you know, what you were promised, if these people can't deliver, there is nothing you can do in a parliamentary democratic system. You give a signed blank cheque to the government of the day to do what they want to do or what they think they are able to do because the problem with parliamentary democracy in a capitalist society, with representative democracy in a capitalist society, is those with the wealth manipulate the process in order to ensure that their interests, their interests, their personal interests, their corporation's interests always take precedence over the interests of the public as a whole in this country. So we are seeing today the death throes of the globalisation, corporatisation, privatisation, deregulation, revolution that has swept over this country over the past four decades. We are seeing the tsunami breaking down. We are seeing the waves starting to subside. And what we are seeing in its wake is the damage that this tsunami, this ideologically driven tsunami, this ideologically driven tsunami by the 1% as we are seeing the damage 
it has caused not just economically but in terms of creating divisions in this country. A continent with 25 million people. There are some cities on this planet that have more than 25 million people. We are 25 million people living on a bloody continent and we can't seem to get it right because of the institutional barriers which are thrown up every time people try to enjoy the wealth that is created in this country. Every time. So why is there much so much cynicism and disillusionment? Why have we seen the demise of political and social movements which are inclusive, which are not just issue-orientated, which want to create change, especially radical change based on the devolution of power and the sharing of wealth, of the holding wealth in common. Why? Because 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 366 days in a leap year, we see every woken moment of our time being consumed by capitalism, be consumed by the need to make a buck in order to survive, being consumed by the need to follow orders, be consumed by the need to salute when we're asked to salute and jump when we're asked to jump, whether it's figuratively or it's nationalism when the way, you know when they wave the flag in front of us in a last-ditch attempt to unite us as a people. This is a great time for change. But unless we become involved in that social movement, unless we create that social movement, unless we understand we are the people we've been waiting for to initiate that change. That change is not going to be initiated by the major political parties, including the Greens. That change is not going to be initiated by not-for-profit privately owned and privately run organisation. That change is not going to be initiated by local government or state government or federal government. That change is not going to be initiated by putting your faith in the corporate sector. That change will only be initiated when we realise we are the people we've been waiting for. And Public Interest Before Corporate Interests was formed in April 2015 with that very goal in mind, to create an inclusive, not exclusive, but an inclusive political 
organisation that both had a parliamentary arm and a community arm, that both worked in the community and used direct action and used parliamentary politics to promote the concept that the interests of the nation as a whole, not this nation-state, nation, the people in this country being the beneficiaries of the wealth of this country and the beneficiaries of the institutional structures which are created to ensure that everybody is treated equally. Not just given equal opportunity, but treated equally and having the potential to be involved in the decision-making processes. That's the issue. Now, if you are interested... Now, look, I get phone calls, letters, emails, posts on the... You know, that my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the number for the public, Toscano for the public. You know, people say to me, woe is me. Woe is me. Nothing's ever going to change. It's all too much. I'm too old. I'm too young. I've got too many responsibilities. I'm disillusioned. I'm sick. You know, every excuse under the sun. I've heard every excuse under the sun which allows people to continue to complain, to be carping, complaining consumers and thinking that all you need to do to initiate change is to complain and to allow those who exercise power to continue to exercise those power. And I say to them, why don't you join public interest before corporate interests? You don't have to be an active member. We need 550 members on the Australian electoral roll, the federal electoral roll, to be able to be registered as a political party. So we can take on, in a parliamentary sense, the divided nation crowd and other, you know, political movements in this country which thrive on promoting division and hatred and creating instability. (coughs) Oh, there we go. Based on the... uh, (coughs) Creating instability. Based on the creation of that division and hatred. So think about it. (coughs) Why don't you join us? Become some of the people we've been waiting for. Public interest before corporate interests, pipsy.net. Very simple, pipsy.net. Public interest <coughs> before corporate interests. <coughs> Download the application form, pipsy.net. Haven't got a computer? We still love you. You'll find the banks don't love you. Your telephone company doesn't love you if you haven't got a computer. Your charity, local charity, doesn't love you. You know, you've got to have a computer. Your credit card provider doesn't love you, but we love you if you don't have a computer. We understand. <clears throat> you can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We'll send you out an application form to join pipsy.net. A pipsy, public interest before corporate interest. We'll see, if you can't download it, fine. Write to us. Use a stamp. 
best investment you ever made, best dollar you've ever invested. It's a dollar in your future and your children's future and their children's future. You can ring us on 0439 395 489. If I don't answer the phone, leave a contact name and address, say you're on an application form and we'll send it out to you. Go to our Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. As I said before, you can complain or you can be involved in activity. You can be involved in parliamentary activity. You can be involved in direct action. If you don't like one of the things we are involved in, and maybe you don't, and I understand, create your own inclusive, not exclusive, but inclusive political, social, cultural bridgehead that can act as an impetus for egalitarian change. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, (coughs) broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, what are some simple ways we can actually make representative democracy a little bit more representative? I mean, I was listening to some experts saying to me, well, if we have four-year parliamentary terms federally, we'll have more stable government. I think, what? You want less democracy? We need more democracy. We don't want less democracy. Democracy is rule of the people, by the people, for the people. It's not rule of the people by the corporations, for the corporations. It's not rule of the people, by the people, for the corporations, as we have today. I mean, I don't blame individual politicians. I don't go into this game saying, oh, they're all corrupt, they're all bad, they're all there for their own you know, games, they're all career politicians. Obviously, some are and some aren't. The issue isn't the calibre of the individual candidate who's elected. The issue is the institutional structures which allow Parliament to be manipulated and marginalised and ostracised and pushed aside by the, by the one percenters. That's a more section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. I know it's repetitive, but that's the fact. You talk to people about the one percenters, most people will think you're talking about an outlaw motorbike gang. They don't understand what the one percenters is. Most people don't even understand what the concept of the public good is, what the public is, that we as a whole are the public, the population, the public. Now, a lot of people think that Parliament has no power. It has no effect on the way they live. Of course it has an effect on the way you live, especially if that Parliament is controlled by the one percenters. Of course it has an effect. I mean, I'll say it again, and I'll say it again. 25 million people living on a continent. We should all be living in the lap of luxury. We should all be working 24-hour weeks. We should all be out there enjoying ourselves. But it doesn't happen. 
It does not happen. And if we can't make it happen in this country, 25 million people living on a continent, who else has the capacity to make it happen? And we have allowed this state of affairs to evolve, where there is this division between the public and the private. We have public schools, private schools, public hospitals, private hospitals, public infrastructure, private infrastructure. And what we've seen over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution, we have seen the wealth move from the public sector to the private sector. We've seen wealth move from the pockets of workers into the pockets of investors. 40 years ago, an investor, for every dollar that was invested in this country, 66%, over 66% landed in the pockets of the people doing the work to create the wealth. 40 years later, over 66% of that dollar goes into the pockets of the investor. (coughs) No wonder, no wonder we find ourselves in a situation where more and more people find themselves with crushing debt and more and more people find themselves on a treadmill of part-time, casualised work with a hex debt which they'll take to the grave with the inability of actually, you know, taking part in the Australian dream, spending the rest of your life paying off a mortgage, the Australian dream. Hmm? The good old days in the 60s, seven years you paid off your mortgage. 2016, an ordinary worker, you need two people to actually be working in the same household, and if you're lucky, maybe 40 years down the track, you'll pay off that mortgage. And it could be in a few more years' time we'll have intergenerational mortgages that when your parents die, if they're lucky enough to have a mortgage, you will inherit that mortgage. Isn't it extraordinary? The federal government just held an inquiry into housing, housing affordability. I think the inquiry went for 18 months. All these learned men and women, our political representatives, called in all these learned men and women to talk about the housing affordability crisis. 18 months later, this group of inept, inept, incompetent, self-serving people, self-serving representatives, came up with no recommendations. 18 months of free lunches and booze, or drinks I should say, you wouldn't have booze at an inquiry, no recommendations. None whatsoever. Nothing. The single most important issue of 2016 and 2017, housing affordability in the land of milk and honey, no recommendations of how to increase housing affordability. And why no recommendations? Because if you made recommendations, you would step on the toes of the investment class. That 15% of Australians that 15% of Australians who make their living through investment, who use taxation-friendly legislation 
to expand their personal wealth and minimise their tax to minimal amounts and become the new gods and goddesses of the land of Oz. And if there's one thing we need to remember in 2016, we can no longer use 19th and 20th century concepts to describe the type of society we live in today. And it's very important that we understand the type of society we live in today because if we don't understand the type of society we live in today, the push for change is stillborn. There is no hope for change. We have disillusionment and cynicism on a widespread scale. And the people who breed, who eat and breed on cynicism and disillusionment are those that divide and rule us. And that's the dilemma. We no longer need to look at concepts like left and right, although I use those concepts on this program. (coughs) We no longer need to look at traditional ruling classes and working classes. What we need to do is look at the reality which is staring us in the face. Because if we understand that reality, (coughs) then we are in a position to change that reality. If we don't understand that reality, we will be forced to repeat the mistakes of the past ad nauseum to the day we die. And that reality is very simple. Australia is divided into four distinct classes. And most of the world is divided into four distinct classes. Top of the pile are the one percenters, the billionaires, the oligarchs, the the president-elect Donald D. The the Groper group, the Russian oligarchs, the British oligarchs, and it goes on and on, the African oligarchs, the Mexican oligarchs, the one percenters who think the planet is there for them, who think the 7 billion people on this planet, or 600, I should say, uh, you know, 6.99 billion people on this planet, we are there to pander to their wants. The oligarchs, the one percenters, that small section of society that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, and I'm sorry to repeat it again and again and again and again. It's the one percenters who are there who are making hay in 2016 who will continue to make hay in 2017 as we beg and beseech for them you know, to brush the crumbs off the corporate table in our direction. And we know who these one percenters are. We know that 67 people own half of the world's wealth. We know that in Australia... The top 1% own 40% of the wealth in this country and the bottom 40% economically own 1% of the wealth in this country. We know that. And we know corporate Australia doesn't pay tax. And we know that President-elect Donald D. Groper, you know, makes light of the fact that he's never paid tax. And we know the Murdochs of the world are even better than the Groper better than President-elect de Groper in terms of ripping off the public. That's us. We know 
Mr Murdoch claimed an $886 million tax refund in 2013 while making hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars of profit. And they do it legally. Legally. L-E-G-A-L-L-Y. Legally. Because the pressures they put on parliamentary representatives to put their interests before the interests of everybody else to ensure that their ideological mates push the levers of power in Parliament, you know, means that they will con- they continue, continue to feed off the public, continue to grow fat and bloated on the blood, sweat and tears of the men, women and children of this country. The one percenters, top of the pile. Then we have a new class. A new class that's been created over the last 40 years in this country. The investment class. And you all know somebody who's part of the investment class. And the investment class isn't based on the fact on whether you're a blue-collar worker or a white-collar worker or an office worker, whether you're self-employed, whether you're employed, whether you inherit wealth or whether you don't inherit wealth. Over the last 40 years, we have seen the passage of legislation through federal and state parliaments which have been which have created an investment class to which about 15% of Australians belong to and these are the people who have disposable income after they've met their day to day economic responsibilities financial responsibilities once they've paid their bills to put it in plain english they've got disposable income left and that disposable income is then used to invest either in the stock market where there are many, many tax-friendly laws to minimise the amount of money you bring back to the community, or negative gearing. The more houses you own in this country, the greater the tax deduction. You don't own any homes? Bad luck, Charlie. So the investment class incorporates... All those old fashion, you know, working class, ruling class, middle class concepts that existed in the past. It's not based on professions. There are many people who are in professions who don't have any money at the end of the week or minimal money at the end of the week to join the investment classes. There are some workers in certain trades, who are making a lot of money, who would be described as traditional blue-collar workers, who have now got the same mentality as the one-percenters. So we've seen this baby one-percenters being created. And the whole purpose of this creation of this investment class was to forever cement the power of the one-percenters over us because they epitomise, they aspire, they are the aspirational class, they aspire to be the one percenters. And then you have the working class. So you've got the one percenters, the investment class, the working class. Who are the working class? They are, they are the 50% of Australians 
who work to make a buck. Some are salaried, some are self-employed, some are micro-employers, employing less than two or three people. These are people are the backbone of the nation. The investment class are parasites. The one percenters, super parasites. They are the ones who pay almost 70% of every cent that is raised in taxation. These are the honest, hard-working people in our society. Some are professionals, some are white-collar workers, some are blue-collar workers who do their job, pay their bills, obey the laws and are treated like garbage in this society. Total garbage. Treated by garbage by government, the investment class and the one percenters. The cash cows, they see us as the cows which they milk. We provide the resources for the infrastructure. We provide the resources for government. We provide the resources for social security benefits. It is this group, the working class. So you've got the one percenters, the 15% of Australians who are part of the investment class, and then you've got the 50% of Australians who do the work, who create the wealth, who don't have the money to invest to take advantage of this country's investor-friendly taxation laws, investor-friendly legal frameworks. They don't have it. They don't have any money at the end of paying their, you know, their weekly bills. And you can be a professional and find yourself in that situation. You can be a blue-collar worker, a white-collar worker, and the more casualised you work, the more part-time you work, the more you find yourself in that situation, in that working class, you've even got a group called the Working Poor, where people work but get paid so little because of the avarice of the 1% and the investment class that they can't even meet their day-to-day financial commitments. And then you have the 35% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive. The most ostracised, marginalised and stigmatised section of the population. The welfare bludgers. They're called the welfare. They're on welfare. I never use the word welfare. The word welfare is used by the ruling class, by the one percenters and the investment class, you know, to push their bandwagon, to somehow dismiss the efforts and energies of the 35% of Australians who rely on social security benefits to survive, whether it's an old age pension, a disability support pension, a single parent's pension, a new start allowance. Somehow, in the land of Oz, in the land of milk and honey, in the land down under, in the land under the Southern Cross, somehow these people don't exist and in the majority of cases they need to survive on less than $400 a week and in a new start allowance on less than $250 a week. So there you have it. The classless society, the egalitarian community which people strove for at the beginning of the 20th century, 100 years later in the 21st century has become this class divided, ridden 
society, which is based on four distinct classes, which are based on the amount of money you have after you've met your living expenses. Simple. So forget about all your concepts of right and left. Forget about this thing about working class, ruling class, middle class, lump of proletariat, proletariat, and the list goes on and on. Four classes. Four classes. The one percenters, the investment class, the working class, and people and social security class. Think about it. If you look at Australia in that way, you can begin to see that 85% of people living in this community today are being ripped off, ripped off for the benefit of 15 or 16%, totally ripped off. So what do we do? We turn on each other. That's the classic thing carping, complaining consumers do. They turn on each other. He's a welfare bludger. She's on the dole. You know, she's on the dole. He's a bludger. Oh, look at him. He's wearing a funny hat. He must be a Sikh. There's a towel head. Oh, there's an Aboriginal, you know, one of those Indigeni people, you know. Oh, that's a gay person over there. They're the enemy, aren't they? They're all the enemy. Divide and rule. Divide and rule. And we have these new social and political movements which breed, which feed on hate, which create division, which are coming to the fore. The divided nation crowd and all their hanger-oners. The Liberal National Party taking on the aura of divided nation crowd. Sections of the Labor Party taking on the same aura. All of them. All of them. Friends. Friends. Puppets of the one percenters. And we're expected to sit back and say, oh, well, we can always watch the cricket. Hmm? We can stream things into our television. We can watch it on our phone. We can do it on the computer. We've got all these wonderful technological innovations which can be used, you know, which can be used as we like it. Think about it. Divide and rule. Divide and rule. Them and us, the refugees, you know, those horrible people. So, so, I mean, in many regards, what we are seeing today in 2016 is very similar to what was happening in Europe in the 1920s. The divide and rule crowd were beginning to grow. They were beginning to get public support. And they were beginning to get public support because those who own the means to production, distribution, exchange and communication were squeezing people so tightly there was nothing left over. And the merchants of hate and the merchants of division 
were coming to the fore and organising politically and using the language and terminology and signs and symbols of those people in society who wanted to create a united nation where there weren't divisions, where there was equality of opportunity and also equality. And they were pushed aside, laughed at, dismissed as utopians, idiots, morons, people who didn't understand what the world was really like. Well, we understand what the world is really like and we are at a critical juncture where we can lose this struggle if we don't organise, not just on issues but on a greater platform, a platform which looks at the institutional structures, a platform that looks at both reform and revolution. It is not a continuum. I mean, what an anarchist wants to do is create a better life for themselves and the people around them. And that may involve forays into reformist movements as well as revolutionary ideas and revolutionary movements. Both can work simultaneously. For example, this disillusionment with representative democracy, there are a few concepts which can be raised, (coughs) which can be used to unite us. Things like the power of recall, giving the electorate the power to recall non-performing politicians in between elections. Today, once you're pre-selected in a safe seat, you have a job for life. The power of recall means that the electorate, that the representative is no longer directly responsible to the political party which pre-selects them, but is directly responsible to the electorate because they know they can be recalled in between elections. For example, if 10% of citizens in a particular electorate sign a petition to call for a fresh election in a particular electorate, that fresh election occurs. You could limit it to twice in a term of, a term of parliament. Then the other concept which, again, democratises... See, the problem isn't democracy. <coughs> Rule of the people by the people, for the people. That's not the problem. The problem is representative democracy. The fact that representative democracy is marginalised, pushed around, ostracised, controlled, usurped the power of parliament by the one percenters. That's the problem. You could have citizens-initiated referendums and people who are concerned that people with money could manipulate the process, you could limit or you could publicly fund the referendum and ban private donations. So each side has an equal amount. And how would you get a citizens-initiated referendum? Maybe you would need maybe 5% or 10% of the electorate to sign a petition. They want a particular issue brought up for debate. It's debated. And if people somehow think that this is some type of wild-eyed, utopian, revolutionary concept, they've had citizens-initiated referendums in uh, Switzerland for decades. And Switzerland is one of the most stable parliamentary democracies in the world. So there are reforms which we can do today. There is one problem in Australia, 
and that is the Constitution. In Australia, it is only Parliament which can call a referendum. The people can't call a referendum. No wonder there is increasing disillusionment of the parliamentary process. And that disillusionment is bad for the concept of democracy, whether it's direct democracy or recallable elections or citizens-initiated referendums. What we need is more democracy, not less democracy. And that is the issues that we need to canvas in 2017. Next year will be my 40th year broadcasting via 3CR in Melbourne, and I think it's my 12th year on the Community Radio Network. Look, I can broadcast for another 10 years before I drop dead, but the problem is it's, it's not me that matters. What matters is you. What are you going to do? What's your New Year's resolution? More of the same? More of the same carping consumerism, complaining consumerism? Or are you going to become an active citizen? If you don't like what we're doing, well, I'm sure there's many other organisations you can join that are inclusive and want to devolve power and want to share wealth. There are many political movements. So if you're interested, join public interest before corporate interest now. Download the application for Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052. Email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can also look at my personal Facebook page. You won't find out what I have for breakfast or what type of underpants I wear, but you will know what type of activities I'm involved in. Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, for the public. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And remember... Ultimately, it's up to you. Are you the person you've been waiting for? Or are you happy to lie back, watch the cricket, have sex on the internet and enjoy yourself? Up to you. Up to you. What can I say? Thank you once again to the Community Radio Network for a broadcast in the anarchist world this week during 2016. Thank you for uh, to 3CR for broadcasting the program. Next week will be about the Victorian Land Convention, which is about all about direct democracy 160 years ago. And the week after that, the first week in 2017, will all be about the Tanaminawe and Moor Bohema commemoration for National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day, which is the 20th of January. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. This is Joe Toscano signing off for the year apart from uh, two uh, pre-recorded broadcasts last week in 2016, first week in 2017, live again, second week in 2017. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.